We are in a series entitled One Another, and uh, in this series we have been examining uh, what the scriptures require of us as a body of believers. Um, so recognizing the fact that God has called us not just even uh, not just in our individual capacities, but he's called us as a body of believers, which means that we are called one to another. And part of our responsibility is not just, OK, Lord, did I do these things Did I check off all these things that I'm supposed to do, but to realize that we also have obligations to one another. We started off this series by talking about the debt of love that we have and realizing that we owe that debt of love to God because of his great love that he showed towards us. But God sets the terms of the repayment. And part of the terms that he set is that the love that he's shown you show it to others. And so we know that the greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all thy hearts, with all thy soul, with all thy mind and with all thy strength. But he said the second is likewise, that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so we've been looking what does it mean to love uh, one another? And we talked about love does no harm to its neighbor. And we talked about the fact that uh, love is concerned with one another and, and love encourage. And this week, we're going to talk about the fact that love encourages, love encourages. And so as we look to this scripture, we want to see what is the Lord's expectation that we encourage one another. Reading from Hebrews chapter number 10, we are going to start reading at verse number 23 and reading through verse number 25. And it reads, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another. Say the word spur with me. How we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for this opportunity that we have to join together and to examine your word, Lord. We thank you that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. And so that even as your word uh, is proclaimed this morning, Lord, it would illuminate, Lord, our footsteps. It would open our eyes to see where we ought to go, Lord, to help us uh challenge us, Lord, in the way that we should walk with one another. And Lord, this call that you've given to us to encourage one another. I pray that as we share the word of God, we would be encouraged to know that we are not alone, Lord, that you are with us and that you are helping us, Lord, even along every step of the way. We give thanks and glory unto your holy name. Lord, what we know not today, would you teach us? What we have not, would you give us? What we are not, would you make us? In Jesus' name, amen, amen. When I think of the word encouragement, I think of those who have come before me who are examples that I can look to and they encourage me because I can look at their lives, I can look at some of the activities of their lives and see that they have been able to accomplish great and mighty things. Uh, you know, when I think through the Bible, there are many uh, uh, people in the Bible who encourage me. Um, of course, uh, my namesake, Joseph, is one who encourages 
encourages me. Now, the whole part about his brothers throwing him into a pit and, you know, having to go and getting lied on and everything else and, and going into jail, uh, that part doesn't encourage me so much. But the, the part of the fact that he learned how to walk in forgiveness, he learned how to be a blessing, and also the fact that the Lord used him in mighty ways because he rendered himself uh, as a vessel to be used for God's glory and God's honor. And so I, I love the story of Joseph. Many of us are familiar with the story of David. And we think of David and probably one of the first things that comes to mind when you think of David is he was called a man after God's own heart. We think of David, the worshiper, and we think of David as the one who sung songs and and just worshiped God. And just, you know, we think about David dancing until his clothes fell off. Well, maybe we don't literally think of that, but we think about all how David loved to worship. And and we see how we we think about also how David was a king and how David had a priestly rule. And and, and in thinking about all of those things, we also sometimes forget that David went through not only the peaks in his life, but he also went through some of the valleys. We know one of the valleys was when at a time when he was supposed to be out at war, he was still at home and he happened to look outside his window or in modern parlance, he happened to turn his browser on and there was a pop-up and the pop-up was a girl named Bathsheba. <laughs> and uh, as, as Bathsheba was there, he said, who is that woman? And uh, in our modern parlance, Something just popped up and he had to click on it. And after he clicked on it, it takes him to this new place, this new site. Uh, it didn't literally take him to a new site. He saw Bathsheba, found Bathsheba and said, I want her to be my wife. But we realized that that was one of the valleys that David went through. Now, if we rewind even before in David's life, we realize that along with all these victories, there were many times where David experienced some valleys that he was going through. Uh, There was a time when the Philistines were at war with King Saul. King Saul was before King David. And if you know anything about the story of King Saul, uh, uh, the children of Israel, they saw that all around them, all the other nations had kings. They had uh, kings. And so the children of Israel said, we want to be like all the rest of the nations. Appoint to us a king. And and, and God says, do you really want a king? This is what the king is going to do to you. And he said all these things. They said, yes, we still want it. And the Lord said, all right, I'll give you a king. And so Saul comes in and uh, Saul was one who was after God's heart, but he lost God's heart. And really it became about himself. And so in the midst of King Saul ruling, again, the Philistines were there at war. And one of the Philistines that many of us know was this Philistine named as Goliath. He was the champion, the greatest champion, and he taunted the Israelites for their cowardice. No Hebrew had the courage to face Goliath. Now, David, he was one, he was one of those young lads who, you know, came along and said, y'all scared of Goliath? What's wrong with y'all? I mean, he comes along and he says, listen, Goliath is coming and saying uh, things against the name of the Lord. And I'm going to come in and say, listen, nobody talks about my God. Nobody says those things about the God that I serve. 
And so we all know the story that David takes this little slingshot and, you know, here's this little boy, David, and he goes and he kills Goliath. Everybody is celebrating uh, uh, David, and that becomes the first of his victories. But we have to realize that sometimes even after our greatest victories, we can experience some of our lowest moments. We can experience some of our lowest moments. You know, when David returns from battle, I mean, think about that. He comes, he kills Goliath, and all the women of the town, they are lining the streets and they're celebrating. Here is David. And guess what they were saying? Saul has slain his thousands. David, his tens of thousands. I mean, could you imagine that? King Saul's like, yeah, we got Goliath. Wait, why are they talking about Saul? I only slayed a thousand. And David slayed ten thousands. And so Saul, in his fit of rage, became angered against David, and he attempted to try and kill David. We know this story as it goes on. And as far as it can be determined, David was about age 20 when he had to run into exile to flee from King Saul. Now, many of us think of the story, and just because there's a few short chapters, we think about, okay, David was on the run for a little bit. He was going out and doing different things. But uh, uh, some of the uh, scholars estimate that it was almost 10 years that David was on the run. Have you thought about that? I mean, because some of us, 10 years, we're thinking about what could we have done in 10 years, or what have we done in 10 years? Can you think about what was going on 10 years ago in your life? And here, David, for 10 years, was running in exile. And as he's there, he's going from place to place. He even gets to the cave of Adullam. And in the cave, he finds himself having to act mad or insane in order so that the people out there would not find him and kill him. And so here he is acting insane and saying, how did I get here? I killed Saul. I did these great victories. And now I'm here at a place where I'm running for my life. And I'm discouraged. He took residence in a cave as if it wasn't bad enough that he had gotten mad himself. He finds 400 other misfits. I mean, could, could, I mean, could you imagine? It's like, all right, I got to act insane. And then because I act insane, I attract 400 other people like that. I know he's thinking about himself in night like, Lord, what did I do? I'm sorry. I, I won't do it again. And, and this is what was going on. And in these 10 years, David was experiencing these things. But I want you, if you have your Bibles, to turn into 1 Samuel chapter number 23 and verse number 15. It says, while David was at Horesh in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son, Jonathan, then went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. And helped him find strength in God. Verse 17, do not be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord. Then then Jonathan went home, but David remained at Horash. See, what you realize is that while David was in a place where he was at one of his lowest points, lowest moments, while David was in a place where he was wondering, Lord, are you really out there and existing? There was a Jonathan that God sent to David. 
And while David was there kind of wallowing in everything that was going on, Jonathan comes along and says, listen, wake up. You need to find your strength in God. You need to find your strength in God. And while we are on this earth, it's very easy with all of the challenges that we may face from day to day that we might be in a place where we are in the peaks of life, but we also experience the valleys of life. Now, the book of Revelation tells us that there will be a day when he, God, will wipe every tear away from our eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, for the old order of things has passed away. So no matter what you are going through, you have to keep your eyes on the fact that although there are temporary things that are happening here, they are not worthy to be compared with what God is going to do in the realm of everything when you look at the grand scheme of things that are occurring. Now, you say, Pastor Joseph, that sounds easier (laughs) easier said than done. The reality is that God knows that while we're on this earth, we will have challenges. As a matter of fact, God even promises it. He says, I mean, the scriptures tell us that while we're on this earth, there will be uh, challenges that will take place. There will be things that will happen. And he promises that in those things that we are not to lose heart. Galatians tells us, let us not become weary in doing good. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we, what? Do not give up. Or another translation says, if we faint not. So we have to have faith while we're in the midst of everything that is going on, that God is going to do what he said he will do. This instruction of not giving up is repeated in the scripture that we read here in Hebrews chapter number 10. And it said in verse number 23, he says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Now, notice that the writer does not say, let yourself hold unswervingly to the hope you profess. It doesn't say, let yourself consider what's going on. But you see throughout all of these scriptures here in Hebrews chapter number 10, it says, let us. Look there in the scriptures, starting at verse number 23. Read it with me here. You see here in Hebrews 10 and 23, it says, let us hold unswervingly. Let us consider. Let us not give up meeting together. Let us encourage one another. In this world, you'll have many troubles. But Jesus goes on to say, take heart, I have overcome the world. In the midst of our troubles, he's called us to gather together to encourage one another and to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Now, some of you might be saying here, well, I I don't need anybody to encourage me. And, you know, we we like some of us have grown up in church where we've gotten used to some of the traditional sayings where we we recognize where, you know, you say, well, sometimes you just got to encourage yourself. You got to be in the midst of all that's going on and just encourage yourself in the Lord. And that is very true. There are times where you're going to need to encourage yourself in the Lord. There will be times where all you have is you in your secret place and you in your secret closet where you encourage yourself. But here is the thing is that many of us, we stay in there when God is sending people into our lives to encourage us. 
Some of us, we like being isolationists. We like not dealing with people. And I understand some of our temperaments, uh, you know, we could only take people in doses. I mean, sometimes, you know, it's like, whoo, <laughs> I took an extra strength dose of people. I, I need some time to let this get through my system. And some people are wired that way. But we need to realize that part of how God has designed us is he's designed us that we would not be alone. What did he say to Adam? It is not good for man to be alone. Now, we see that in the context of marriage, but in the greater aspect, God did not design you to exist on this earth by yourself. And you don't have to live by yourself. Because part of what you need to thrive in this life is sitting right next to you. It's your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's the body of Christ. It's one another that God has given us. And what he has called us to do is that when we gather together, we encourage one another and spur one another. There is something that should happen that when we come together, there is a catalyst that happens. It's something like when you see a spark beginning to generate and out of that spark, something greater begins to ignite because you're coming together. Sparks and fr uh, sparks do not happen without friction. And something in the place where we're in the same proximity, doing the same thing and worshiping the same God, you begin to see that you begin to be encouraged beyond some of the things that when you were alone, they were consuming you and overwhelming you. In the presence of the body of Christ, we are to encourage one another. Now, he says, how, why, why is that there? It's because when you gather together, this is the call. And that's why he said in verse number 25, he says, don't be in the, ha don't be in the habit, as some are in the habit of, of giving up meaning together. Some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. When you see all the New Testament epistles, you see they start off with encouragement and they usually end with the word of encouragement. The writer says that encouragement is something that we all need. We all need encouragement. And even when you look at Jesus, he was encouraged as his father said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He, we, Jesus even had encouragement and walked in relationships. Encouragement does for us what it did for David. When Jonathan met David in the midst of his time of ex exile, Jonathan helped him find strength and God, strength in God. And encouragement causes us to find strength in God. So what does it mean to encourage? Well, let's look here in verse number 24 and it says, and let us consider, let us consider. Uh, this means to notice, pay attention, look closely at. And he says, we are, when we gather together, we ought to consider, take notice, pay attention to why are we gathering? Why do we come here on a Sunday morning? Do we come here simply so that everybody can see the latest, nightest outfit that you got for church? Do we come here so that everybody might be able to say, oh, yeah, you know, I'm, 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 a, I'm the safe, sanctified one. I'm here. I'm here at 1030. I mean, I'm here early. I mean, I'm, I'm praying the house down. I mean, that is not why we gather together. Our primary responsibility as we gather together is to worship God. But in the worshiping of God, when we come together, there is an encouragement that happens as we all are of the same mind and as the same heart. 
And so what happens is that as we dig deeper, we realize that in joining together, in gathering together, we are spurring one another. It's almost like we're challenging one another. But you have to realize that you can either spur people towards good works or you can spur people towards bad works. You don't have to raise your hand, but you ever gone to a place and the people that were at that place spurred you to some bad works? Maybe some bad words, too. I mean, <laughs> you know, the way people I mean, the way people just responded to you, the way people kind of talk to you or, or engage with you and realizing that, hey, we can spur people either towards good works or bad works. But the Bible says that we're to spur people towards love and good deeds. Now, when we think of encouragement, many of us think of encouragement simply in the sense of, oh, joy. You're just a joy to be around. <laughs> and, and, and we love the, you know, kind of fluffy, pleasing kind of encouragement. But what we need to see is that encouragement is more than just uh, laying on platitudes or, or saying nice things. But encouragement is helping people find their strength in God and also help them to realize that no matter what they may be going through right now, there is a God said that is still in place. You might be going through challenges right now. Some of you in your workplaces, you're going through the challenges of, all right, I'm in a place where I'm wondering what is my next career move, what's going on, what's next, and it may consume you. But realizing that in light of all of that, God said there's still gonna be something new that is coming, so while you may be going through that challenge, don't give up and lose heart. Some of you who are in school right now, <laughs> you might be looking right now and the only thing that you can see is a class, an exam, and a professor who you think does not like you. <laughs> and what we realize is that while we're going through that, that might consume us, but in the reality of it, there's still a God said. And at the end of the day, you're going to have to live for eternity, not just for one semester in school. And so realizing these things, we are called to spur. And in the way that we're spurring or provoking or encouraging, uh, uh, the Greek origin of this word spur means to provoke, to irritate, to excite, to sharpen, to stimulate, or call into action for a worthy purpose. I like to call it the pebble in your shoe. You know what a pebble in your shoe is? It's something where it's just... Nah, I mean, it, it doesn't hurt in the sense that it's cutting your feet, but it's annoying enough that as you walk on it long enough, you have to stop, take off your shoe and get the pebble out. And what the Bible is saying is that encouragement, sometimes, yes, it's the thing of pushing people along, but sometimes it's the gentle nudge to say, hey, I know you can do better than that. Hey, I know that you are a child of God. You've been called to something greater than that. You don't use your body in that way. Don't use your mind in that way. Don't yield yourself to your, your members to this way. And what it is, encouragement, is that nudging. Sometimes it's nice and gentle. Sometimes it's that slight irritation that forces you to keep on going. Going. Many of you know my journey with P90X with Pastor Mike. And one of the things was that when, when we started P90X, we had a pact. We were like, all right, we're going to do this together. And, and, and some days when I would wake up, I would know if I don't do this, Pastor Mike is going to call me and say, did you do your P90X today? And then I was like, then the pastor's going to have to decide. Is he going to lie or going to tell the truth? <laughs> I didn't want to get into that dilemma. 
So I said, let me just go ahead and spend this hour doing what I need to do and do the exercise and be done with it. But now after we've done, we're done and we finished the series, I'm still kind of um, doing the P90X, but I'm doing it on my own. And you know what? I can convince myself really easy that I don't need to do something. And so there will be times where I'll wake up and Pastor Ophelia, she'll be going off. She's going to the YMCA and doing her classes every day. And I'm sitting there saying, well, I did 90 days of P90X. Do I really need to get up? <laughs> and then there are some days where I'm just like, I'm tired. And, and then I'll, I'll pretend before Pastor O's going out with the kids. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to get up. And then as soon as she go out, I go right to that couch. Like, I mean, there were times that I, 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 those of you who know uh, our, our basement, that there's a, a couch in the basement. And there are times that I I will make it even all the way downstairs and I will say, let me sit down for a moment. And then an hour later, I'm like, whew, that was a good nap. <laughs> and so I realized that there is something about spurring, about provoking, and sometimes just the slight irritation. And I know Pastor Mike is going to be like, did you do your stuff? It was going to provoke me to do good deeds, to do what I needed to do. So how do we spur, provoke, excite, or sharpen one another? There are two primary ways that I want to share with you this morning. We provoke or spur one another towards good deeds by number one, what we say, and number two, what we do. What we say and what we do. We encourage one another by what? What we say and what we do. So when the Bible says we are to encourage one another, it is not simply just with words, but it's also with our actions. First, what we say. Do our words provoke others to find strength in God, or do our words provoke others to find strength in themselves? See, Jonathan didn't come along and say, all right, David, you are the man. Oh my goodness, you are the man. You are going to be king. I mean, and a lot of our self-help theories, I mean, we, we come along and we just, you know, we got to beat ourselves in the chest and look ourselves in the mirror and say, oh, yes, I am a king. And, and that was not what Jonathan came along and did. Now, yes, David needed to understand who he was called to be in God. And there is an importance of knowing who we are in God. But the key part is about the fact that it's in God. And if God is not the part of where you're finding your strength, you will find that your strength will always be limited and always will give out. Listen, if you're a husband, guess what? You don't need husband juice. You need God juice. (laughs) You need the strength that comes from God. Because to be a husband the way that God has called you to be a husband, it's not just about the fact that you, you come along and you, uh, you, 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 you've learned how to be this greatest husband. It's about the fact that God is working in you to challenge you and to change you to learn how to love your wife as Christ has loved the church. And let me tell you, brothers here, whether you're single or married, that is a high responsibility to have to love like Christ loved the church. You want to know why? Because when Christ loved the church, he loved all of the church with all of its spots, wrinkles, all the mess and everything else. So some of y'all saying, well, if she don't do this, if she don't do that, she's going to get what's coming to her. Guess what? Your responsibility is to love her as Christ loved the church. And so when we, when we see this and, 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 and what we're finding in terms of finding strength and, and, and recognizing this call and this responsibility is that we are called to do it in the strength that God gives to us. And so when we look at what we say and how we encourage one another with what we say, do our words again provoke us? 
to find strength in God or in ourselves. And number one, what do we say? We're called to encourage one another through speaking blessings. Do we speak blessings to one another? Now, I, I know, like, that, that seems cachet. I mean, who am I to speak blessings to one another, to, to someone, or to say bless you, or, or to speak in, in a blessing? But to bless means simply to speak well of. And in 1 Peter 3 and 9, it says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. And it says, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Now, it is true that we are not to call or to bless something that God hasn't blessed. And so there are certain things where no matter how we look at it, if it goes against the word of God, we cannot bless it. But we can still be a blessing and speak blessings to people, even though there might be areas of their lives which are not necessarily in the area where God has called them to walk in. And so that means that we can speak well of and speak well to others. And especially when we come here and when we gather together as a body of Christ, how often do we engage in blessing one another and saying, it is great to see you with the love of the Lord. It is great to have you in the presence. It's great to be able to say that you are my brother and sister in Christ. Do we bless one another? Or do we curse one another? Because many times what happens, and especially when conflict takes place, we run straight to say, well, Lord, just get them. You know, it's interesting because, you know, I'm privy to a lot of stuff that happens as a pastor. Somehow it finds, the, uh, the information finds itself to me um, by the help of Facebook and other ac- social media activities. And, 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 you know, there are a lot of times where people have things that are going on. And it's amazing to me because everybody expects the pastors to always bless them. But do you know that you're called to bless one another? You don't, I mean, there's no special, I mean, there's no special S or anything. I mean, there's no special thing on my suit or anything that gives me the special blessing power. But you have power in your tongue with life or death and you can speak life to one another or you can speak death. But you have a choice. Will you open up your mouth and speak blessings to one another? The second area is that we are called to encourage one another by what we say through sharing our testimony. And so one of the ways that we can speak life or we can encourage one another by what we're saying is by sharing our testimony. In Revelation 12 and 1, it says they overcome him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. So how does it become an encouragement when we share our testimony? Well, it's the realization that in sharing your testimony, you are able to say that, listen, I was going through a valley, but the God that I serve brought me out and he's able to do the same thing for you. I mean, how many times have you heard someone's testimony and as you listen to their testimony, you were encouraged to say, I, I can do that. I can do that. And so when we are encouraging one another with what we say, we do it by our testimony. The third thing is that we are called to encourage one another by sharing of godly wisdom. In Colossians 3 and 16, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart towards God. 
When we share godly wisdom, it should encourage us. It should encourage us to know, okay, I see there is a way of escape out of this problem. There is nothing that is too hard for God. There is nothing that is too complicated for God. I mean, there's nothing that we can look at it and say, this is the puzzler of the week. God is going to take a few days to figure this one out. There's nothing too hard for God. And we may be confused by certain things, but God is never confused by any of those things. So when we share godly wisdom and share the words of God and say, hey, God, hasn't God said that there's nothing too hard for him? Hasn't he said, cast your burdens upon him? Hasn't he said, do these things? And when you share the word of God through godly wisdom, it encourages us to know, guess what? God already has a solution. I, I mean, I, let me share my excitement. This was a long time ago, but if you can remember back that first time when you opened one of your math books and discovered that in the back of the book, they had the answers. Can you, can, can, some of you are teachers. You're like, yeah, 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 the students know. But I, I, I still, some 20, 30 years later, I still remember the excitement that was on my face. When I opened, they said, do number, problem number seven. And I opened the back of the book, and the answers were in the back of the book. You know how excited I was? I was like, I can do this. But then they said, show your work. <laughs> and it wasn't simple just adding. It was, you got to show all the steps to get there. And so what I'm saying is that when you share godly wisdom, for some, it's like them knowing that the answers are in the back of the book. And not only are the answers in the back of the book, but the solutions, the work of how to get there is there. And so if you just share with them, this is what God's word said. Don't fret. Don't be afraid. God has a bigger plan for you than you can see. It's open their eyes and say, my God, the answers are in the back of the book. God already has a way of escape. It's encouraging us to know that God is able to handle this situation that may be going on. Another way that we bless one another by what we say is by giving thanks. By encouraging and saying, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for your life. I'm thankful for the things that you do. By just being someone who has a grateful heart. And we encourage one another because we know that our work is not in vain. And sometimes you don't know what the simple act of saying thank you, the simple act of saying you were a blessing to me, how that might encourage someone who was willing to give up, but now that they know that what they're doing is making an impact. And it's not just about you coming and saying, Pastor Joe, thank you, but to one another. You know what? Thank you for, thank you for sharing your Bible with me this morning. Thank you for walking with me as you saw me on the side of the street. Thankful, thank you that you didn't go to the other side of the street and say, I'll just see you at church. <laughs> thank you that you actually cared and were concerned enough that when I asked you to pray for me, you actually did pray for me. Thank you that when things were going on, you were concerned to say, I want to be a blessing in your life. So, what we say and finally, what we do. Do our actions encourage others to find their strength in God? When we are an encouragement, our actions can spur people on to find their strength in God. 
You see, when we show compassion towards others, what we are doing is we are bringing the reality of God to a world in desperate need of a savior. And so through our actions, we encourage people because we become, as some have said, some uh, theologians have said, we become the hand and feet of God in this earth. By the love that God has shown us, we extend it towards others. And some people, they are hopeless. Some people are waking up. Some people woke up this morning and they did not know what they were going to do with their life today. You think about the fact that you were going through your closets and trying to figure out what am I going to wear? What suit am I going to wear? Is this going to match with this? And, you know, these shoes going to go with this? And and we're looking through and figuring out, okay, how can, you know, I got to make sure I I carry up a certain appearance. But there were some people who woke up and they were just wondering, is my, are my pants going to have another hole in it today? Because I've worn them for the last seven days. Some of them were wondering, am I going to be able to have food to eat today? But when you show the love of God through your actions, you are able to encourage them to know that it is not just them isolated in this world, but there is a God who is bigger than you and I, who knows and is concerned about everything that is going on and cares about them. So what do we do to one another? It's not just by what we say, but it's also by our actions that we do for one another. The Bible tells us, listen, it says, if your brother is in need and when you see that need, you just say, oh, well, God bless you. He says, what kind of brother are you? If you see our brothers and sisters here in this place where you have the means or the ability to be able to help in those areas and those needs, but you just say, well, somebody will do it. Maybe that somebody is you. Because through our actions, we encourage one another. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 1 and 3, it says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Now, I believe the scripture is imploring us that when God comforts us, he does it not simply so that we can walk around happy. I mean, that's a part of it. But he does it so that when someone else is going through that, you can comfort others with the same comfort you have received and you can do for others the same thing that God has done for you. So when God gives you a breakthrough, It's not just simply about you getting your breakthrough, but then when you encounter someone else who needs a breakthrough and God has given you the means to be able to help them in that breakthrough, you be the blessing. And so it goes from you receiving from God and not just saying, I got it, it's mine, but you receiving from God and passing it along. Some know it as pay it forward, pay it forward. Taking what God has given to you and passing it along. And in that aspect, that what we do for others can encourage them. Sometimes just the simple act of praying for someone. The simple act of saying, how was your week? That simple ask of doing something for someone unasked. They didn't force you to do it, but you, do it out, you did it out of your kindness can be an encouragement for them to keep on going. So as we close this morning, what do we realize? We realize that we are called by God to encourage one another. 
We're called to spur one another on towards good deeds, love and good deeds. And so what does that mean? That while we're together, that we ought to spend time engaging in, 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 in pressing and in what we say and what we do and considering, not just letting things just come out of our mouth randomly, but consider what we say and consider what we do and say, is this going to help people find their strength in God? Because when we encourage them, we help them to find their strength in God. Listen, I'm not telling you to go out and just start lying. That's not going to encourage people. That might get them through the circumstance immediately, but it'll hurt them in the long run. But share with them the wisdom of God. Bless them even when they persecute you or share insults against you. Uh, Share good news towards them. Give thanks. Thank you for being a blessing in my life. How many times do you just spend time thanking people just for the simple things that you may take for granted? When's the last time you thanked our hospitality team? You know, all the granola bars you enjoyed every week, <laughs> all the wonderful juice that you had. And, you know, Deacon Relisha didn't ask for that thanks, and I'm not, uh, I'm not saying she did, but have you ever said thank you to her for being a blessing to you? You don't know how that might encourage her in all that she's going through. When's the last time that you said thank, thank you to our musicians for them worshiping God and just say thank you that you use your gifts and talents and play for the glory of God? When's the last time you said thank you to the front desk staff at the Holiday Inn. Say thank you for allowing us to have our church service downstairs. You don't know how that might even encourage them into the kingdom of God. You see, we have a ability to encourage one another and to spur one another on towards good deeds. Sometimes it might be that slight irritation, but that encouragement helps us to become all that we are in God. My prayer is that we become a church that encourages one another to become all that God has called us to be. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray as we close out this morning. Father, thank you so much for your word of God, Lord. There's a lamp unto our feet and light unto our pathway. Lord, thank you for the challenge, the instruction that you've given to us that let us hold unswervingly to the faith that we profess. Let us not give up the habit of meeting together, but let us encourage one another. Let us spur one another on towards good deeds, love and good deeds. Father, I pray that as we come together, there would be, Lord, a catalyst that while some might be in seasons of peaks and others in seasons of valleys, that we can spur one another because we realize that there will always be times that even though we might find ourselves on the peak, some days we might be going through the valley. And sometimes when we're going through the valley, we who are on the peak can help those who are in the valley. And so, Lord, it's not an aspect where we're looking quid pro quo, but we know, Lord, that as we encourage one another, Lord, we become a blessing to the body of Christ. Lord, help us to see that our impact here in the body of Christ is not simply what we get, But Lord, to know that sometimes it's what we bring to the body of Christ. And Lord, there are gifts and talents and skills and encouragement that are needed within the body of Christ that others will not receive, Lord, when we withhold it because, Lord, we don't, we just want to use it for ourselves. Lord, help us not to be selfish. Well, Lord, help us to take the time to encourage one another. All the more, even as we see the day approaching. Father, thank you that the future has already been set. 
victory has already been won, and that in Christ Jesus, Lord, we can say all things are made new. We give you glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.